soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress, till I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice, and I entered the
such sweet reward when we wait upon the Lord as we take the time he gives his perfect wisdom to be found in him alone all our deepest secrets Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, kind of change gears a little bit. I'm not going to preach today. Um, today, um, we are honored to have Mrs. Cavanaugh with us today. And um, she doesn't get an opportunity to come up here this way too often. Matter of fact, this is the first time she's ever been at Community Baptist Temple. And uh, I thought it would be appropriate for her to have the privilege and opportunity to hear her son preach. And so I, I am confident that the Lord has something for each and every one of us today. I'm excited to listen to what God has to say, even myself. I get so busy doing all the preaching that it's nice sometimes to actually be preached at or to. 
And so I'm looking forward to what the Lord's put on Brother Kavanaugh's heart. He does a fabulous job, always a tremendous job. And uh, you have a young man to be proud of, Mrs. Kavanaugh. You've done a fine job, and we even like Sarah. And um, <laughs> I'm teasing. We love Sarah. She's awesome. And um, just, uh, boy, I've, I've had the privilege of interacting with some of your children through the years, and uh, you and your husband have done a fine job. You really have. And uh, you can be very proud of them. Well, Mr. Kavanaugh is one of those guys we can be proud of, too. And we're looking forward to hearing from him. Brother, you come preach for us. Got this? All right, there we go. It's my fault. All right. Sound guys aren't messing anything up. It's all me. Sound guys are perfect. They never make mistakes. I just want to clarify it right now. We always get the short end of the stick. And it's usually the guy behind the pulpit's fault. All right. All right. <laughs> oh, I better take advantage while I got the chance. He'll correct me later on. But uh, I do the same thing when I'm sitting on the stage and something goes wrong with the system. I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> nothing. They're doing nothing. And uh, there's nothing that can be done. But uh, I'm excited to open the word of God this morning. You know, if I was as funny as pastor, I would have some witty jokes to tell you. But I have nowhere near that sense of humor. And, uh, and so I won't even attempt to tell those kind of jokes. And, uh, but uh, we will open the word of God and, and uh, pray that the Lord speak to our hearts. And uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 this morning. So if you would take your Bibles, please, and uh, turn to Luke chapter 15. A very uh, well-known story, Luke chapter 15, uh, contains the story, uh, as we know it, called the prodigal son. And um, when you think about the prodigal son... You, it, it's, it's a very powerful story. There's so much we can learn from him and uh, his decision process and his return to the father. Um, but when you look at it contextually, it's not about the prodigal son. That's not what the story's about. And uh, sometimes we take uh, application from the word of God, and it's a, it's a valid application. I'm not saying it's been misconstrued or I have some new truth about this story. That's, that's not what I'm saying in the least. Um, but sometimes we take, take application, and that becomes the focus of the story. Uh, and that's simply not the case uh, in, in, in this instance. Um, the story of the prodigal son is, in fact, not at, uh, really not at all about the son, as it is so much about the father. And, uh, and it's what we can learn about the father. And, and if we're not careful, sometimes we get so used to our interpretation or the interpretation we've heard uh, of a passage that um, we can... Just gloss over some facts. Um, yeah, and there's different passages throughout Scripture we might do that. Uh, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Well, you know, if you're four foot four, you're probably not going to be able to dunk without a trampoline. And, uh, and so, you know, to, to claim that passage isn't a valid application. All right? Now, you certainly can do all things through Christ. He can enable you to do amazing things beyond your ability. But, uh, it's, you know, sometimes we can <laughs> apply, misapply uh, certain truths and uh, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. Well, no, the Lord is with me when I'm by myself, too. I don't need two or three people. That's, that's specifically talking about dealing with a problem. And, uh, and so there's context, and context, uh, context matters. And in this story where we're looking at the prodigal son, as we call it all the time, it's more so about the father. And I want to take our, our attention and draw it towards the father this morning, the father of the story here. And we know this story is about the father because of, as I've mentioned several times, the context. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, we see the story of a shepherd. 
the shepherd had a hundred sheep. And the shepherd took uh, those hundred sheep and he was out in the field with them. And one of the sheep wandered away. The Bible tells of how that shepherd went and forsook the 99 sheep that he had and went and pursued after the one. And so he went and, and found that. And when he found that sheep, the Bible says uh, that he gathered his friends and his neighbors together and celebrated the return of that one sheep. He still had those 99, mind you, but rejoiced over the return of that one sheep. The next story in our passage is found in verses 8 through 10 is the story of a, a woman. And, uh, and she had 50 coins. But she lost one. The Bible says that she cut open her couch cushions and she turned over her furniture and she swept the floor. No, that's not what the Bible says. But she, she, uh, she lit her one candle power light and she searched all through her house, the Bible says, until she found that one coin. And when she found that one coin, she rejoiced. She called her neighbors and her friends together, as did the shepherd, rejoicing over the fact that she found that one coin. That brings us to the story that we read here. Where a father has two sons. And one son wanders away. And eventually that one son returns. And we see the father once again as the shepherd and as the woman. Calling friends and neighbors together. Killing the fatted calf. First instance of barbecue in the Bible. Um, Killing the fatted calf. I'm sure you're all ready for the Super Bowl parties tonight, right? Now I've got your mind on food. You're not going to be thinking about the message the rest of the service. So let's just back up a little bit. He killed the fatted calf and rejoiced. In the fact that his one son, even though he had a son that was still home, his one son returned. And, uh, and so I want to take the time this morning to not focus on the prodigal son per se, but I would like to share this morning a few thoughts as we examine this, stories, uh, this story on the idea of the perfect patriarch. Instead of the prodigal son, let's focus on the perfect patriarch. Father, Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time that we have to be in your house, to open the word of God, and for our hearts to be challenged. Lord, if I'm the one who simply presents thoughts this morning, we will have gathered but in vain. And I don't want that to be the case. Lord, I ask that you would guide my mind and my thoughts and my words. Uh, May I say only the things you would have me to say, and may we as uh, the church, the group that's gathered together today, may we leave this morning challenged and stirred in our hearts Lord, in a, in a more perfect knowledge of your word, a more perfect knowledge of who you are. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to make application uh, of the truth that's presented this morning. And uh, Lord, that none of it would fall on deaf ears. Lord, if there's anyone in this building today who has not accepted Christ as their Savior, Lord, may you convict them. May your Holy Spirit do the work that only he can do in drawing them to yourself. And may they not leave this place without having it settled 100% sure that they're on their way to heaven. Lord, bless this service. May you be honored and magnified in all that's said and done. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. In order to more perfectly understand or better understand the Father, I said that we're not going to focus on the prodigal, and that's true, but in order to learn about the Father, we can learn more about him by understanding his interaction with the different characters in this story. And and that's how we can apply these scriptures. And from the best that I can see, there's actually three different characters in this story outside of the father. There's the younger son, the prodigal. There is the older son, the one who stayed home. And there's also the servants. The servants are a part of the story as well. And I'd like to examine these three different categories of people, and examine their interactions with the Father to see what we can learn um, about the Father. First of all, let's look at the younger son, as we know him, the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, 
um, we, we see that story. And uh, we see, uh, let, me just, uh, let me just share the story with you for the sake of time this morning. We see the, the son, the younger son, come to the father asking for his inheritance. This isn't necessarily an unusual thing. Sometimes when sons got married, they would ask for their inheritance before their father had died. But the case in which he asked for it was very unusual. He was taking what his father had saved in love and was going to go and leave his father. And so he asked for his inheritance. The, the father gives it to him. And from what we can tell, he doesn't put up any kind of fight. He gives him the inheritance and he allows him to go. I have no, I have no reservation in saying this, that this is not something that this was just spare of the moment this, this younger son decided he was going to run away from home. I believe that he had been thinking about this for many, many years. And when it finally came his opportunity and he had the chance, he asked for it and he had it all planned out. He went out to the far country. And the Bible says that after he spent all of his resources there and riotous living and partying, enjoying the pleasures of, of, of the flesh uh, for a small period of time, that uh, he eventually uh, came to his senses, the Bible says. Let's look at Luke chapter 15 and verse number 18. Here the Bible reads, and this is him speaking to himself, the, the, the son, I will rise and go to my father. And will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no longer uh, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And so, with a change of heart and a, a humility about him, he returns home. And while he is still yet a far way off, there's a father on the porch waiting for him, and he sees his son break over the the crest of the horizon. And as he sees that son returning home, the Bible says that the father ran to meet him, fell upon his neck and kissed him. And uh, we see here the interaction that I want to highlight in Luke chapter 15, verse number 21. It says, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. I'm sorry, verse number 22. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. As we examine the interaction between the father and the son here, there's something that immediately popped out uh, to me as this conversation took place. This son comes to the father and immediately asks for forgiveness. I've made a mistake. What I've done is wrong. The father's response is is amazing to me. He doesn't say, you're right. He doesn't say, you did make a mistake. He doesn't say, but you've hurt me so much. He doesn't say, I can't believe you did that. You were taught better. He doesn't say any of those things. As a matter of fact, the immediate response of the father is to ignore what his son had just said and turn to his servants and say, hey, (laughs) go kill the fatted calf. Get the robe, get the ring. My son that was gone is returned. The immediate response of the father is not to humiliate, not to teach a life lesson, not not to try to make sure that the son has understood how stupid he was. I think the son was already come to his senses. The father simply embraced in love. The father took uh, what had already been learned and, 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 and didn't try to rub it in. He tries, doesn't try to remind him of his failures. Certainly the father, we, we would think, the father would be within his rights to say, I just don't understand why. 
I don't understand why you did this. I don't understand why you took the things that I had saved for you and and the inheritance that I wanted to give to you one day. I don't understand why you did that. He He didn't even get, I mean, we would, in our own thinking, we'd think, well, that's pretty valid. He never once brought it up. He directly ignored any kind of reaction and simply said, my son has returned. You know, sometimes we can become so focused on the prodigal son and, and people making stupid decisions that we feel as though it's our, our, our right or responsibility that when they return, they understand how poor, how poor their decisions have been. Sometimes we look at other people and we see how maybe they have hurt us in their bad decision making. And, and because of that, when they return, uh, we, we look at them with some animosity. We look at them with, well, I, you know, it just doesn't seem fair. They, there has to be some kind of punishment. There has to be some kind of retribution. We look at them and we say, oh, they're just going to come back and get forgiveness and everything's, everyone's going to ignore it. If we're not careful, we can respond that way. I know that I felt it, especially as being a youth pastor. And I'll be completely transparent. There's been times where a teenager has made a, a poor decision, and I, and I look at them, they come back, and they get right. And if I'm not guarded in my spirit, I'll say, I wish their parents would just beat them. They need, they need to know that was a dumb decision. Right? Yeah, we, we, we kind of can feel that way. But that's not the response of the father. That's not what we see him do. I tell you right now <laughs> that this father, although some people try to portray the father as having weaknesses or having uh, areas uh, that he made mistakes in this story, uh, that is not the case. This father is a picture of our heavenly father. And as such, he is perfect. Hence the reason for the title that he's the perfect patriarch. He is a, is a perfect heavenly father, and the way that he treated his son is amazing. We can certainly learn a lesson from that. Now, it's, it's good to know that, yes, we will make decisions like the prodigal. If we're not careful, we can wander away. But it's good to know, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David said this in Psalm chapter 32, and verse number 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. And mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. There is forgiveness to be had. What do we learn from the Father as we examine this story of the the perfect patriarch? Well, first of all, we learn this morning that our Heavenly Father is anxiously waiting to celebrate your return. As we look through these characters this morning, and I kind of want to take a step back here even, and maybe should have said it a moment ago, I believe that all of us will find our place in this story. In one of these characters, as they're presented this morning, all of us will be able to identify with one of them. And so I want you to ask yourself this morning, is it possible that you have a, an anxiety about returning to God because you're worried about maybe how people are going to respond or maybe how he would respond? Well, let me assure you, assure you this morning that if you're willing to return, he is willing to receive. Not only is he willing to receive, he is anxiously waiting to receive. He is waiting for you to come over the, the crest of the horizon. He's not waiting for you to get all the way to him. And praise the Lord, we know that we can't make it all the way to God because of his perfect condition. But when we try to go towards him, that he draw nigh 
We draw nigh to him, he draws nigh to us. And we see that in this story of the father here, that as he saw the son approaching, he didn't wait on his porch for his son to come all the way. That's not what happened. The father got off of the porch and ran to his son. Culturally, that was unacceptable. The father of the house never ran anywhere. He sent somebody else to run. And is it right that the king of all kings, the God of heaven and earth, should come to us? No, it's not right. It doesn't make logical sense, but that's how much he loves us. And that's how much he desires for us to return to him, anxiously awaiting our return. So we see the, 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 the attitude of our heavenly fathers that he's anxiously awaiting. Church, let's learn an example from this, because if we're not careful, as I just mentioned, sometimes we'll see somebody who's made some bad decisions returning, and, and we can get a little get our feathers twisted. It's, it's easy to happen. I, I believe that's the, the reason for the reminder in Luke chapter 17, verse number 3, where the Lord gives instruction, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass again these seven times in a day, if he comes back to you seven times in one day and making the same mistake over and over and over and over seven times in a row, I say unto thee, I say again to thee, or if he says again to thee, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Amen. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how many times. The attitude always has to be a Christ-like response. Come on. My son that was dead is alive. He was lost and now he's found. I'm just glad you're here. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's rejoice. Let's not have that attitude where we kind of look crossways at them. Let's welcome them home. The great artist Rembrandt, in 1662 he passed away. and Upon his passing, they found in his studio an unfinished piece entitled, The Prodigal's Return. I looked it up and I saw uh, this picture. And um, by my eye, it looks like a complete painting. They say it's not. Who, who's to say, I guess? But um, it's a great painting. And portrayed in that picture, kind of off on the left-hand side, I can see it in my mind's eye right now, is a son all tattered and torn. His clothes are ripped and worn. He's kind of got a shoe hanging off one foot that's really worn, you can tell, and another shoe, a shoe that had fallen off his foot as he had knelt at the foot of his father. And draped over the, the son's back is the father's hands. And the, the hands are an amazing picture in the story. And it, as it is now, it brought tears to my eyes as I was looking at it then. The father's looking down at him, and certainly it's a look of love. But the hands resting on the, father's, or the son's back. They're hands of love and grace, the same hands that were crucified on the cross for our sins. They're hands of blessing and forgiveness. The artist expressed what we already know about the Father with those hands. To me, that's at least how I feel. We already know, according to this story specifically, that this is a father who had divided his inheritance his property, his belongings with his sons, not because he had to, but because he loved them. And just as when the son was forgiven when he asked for the inheritance, the runoff, he was also forgiven when he returned. 
That's the example of Jesus Christ. Who God is. He, he forgave. That, this son was already forgiven before he had left. Before he had even left, he was already forgiven. And when he returned, he was already forgiven. And that's an amazing thing about our father. Sure, we can, we can focus on the prodigal son and some dumb decisions, but we'd be better off to remember the example of the father. And know that if we're in that position, that we too can come to our senses and say, hey, you know what? I can return. I can return and I'm going to be received anxiously by my heavenly father. It's an amazing thing. Secondly, we see in our story this morning, the oldest son. The son who stayed home. He was working out in the fields when his brother returned. And, and upon getting closer to the house, he heard the celebration. The Bible says he, he heard the music and he Asked of one of the servants, he said, hey, hey, what's going on at the house? And, and the servant said, what, you didn't hear? Your brother's back. Your brother's back. And then the temper tantrum came. Then the attitude. He wouldn't even go into the house. Once again, the father's left meeting a son. The father comes out to the son and Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 28. Luke chapter 15, verse 28. Here's the, here's the son. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. You wouldn't even give me a kid. You wouldn't give me a small thing that I could roast. But when he came back, you killed the fatted calf for him. We see the response of this son. And once again, I I think that we can relate to the feelings of this older brother. We look at people around us and we see them getting attention. We look at people who aren't even faithful to God, but they're receiving blessings. How can this be? We look at believers, maybe inside the church, let's make this very practical, and we look across the auditorium and we see Believers or other people that attend church and it seems as though people are swarming around them and encouraging them and we're sitting over here by ourselves kind of thinking like, why are they getting all the attention? I've been coming to this church for years. People don't swarm around me like that. Really, ultimately, when, it, when we boil all these things down and, and we could examine this and continue to dive into it deeper and we won't this morning, but the feelings that this older brother had were feelings of self-pity. It really all boiled down to selfishness. He looked at his brother and the way he was being treated and he couldn't even rejoice that he was coming home. All he could think about was himself. You haven't done these things for me and I've been here the whole time. How could you withhold these blessings? Really, how could you withhold these blessings? I've been following your commandments. Why ain't I getting anything? 
And if we're not careful as Christians, we can very easily have that attitude as we day in and day out serve the Lord and as we attend church and as we go about our our witness and, and, and try to be an example and we can get into a motion of Christianity where we're going through it all just like the sun was out in the field. He was creating prosperity for his father while the other son was wasting it away. And he felt really self-righteous in it. Look at all I'm doing for him. How come I'm not getting anything from this? What a, what a, you know, we look at it like that and we're like, no, that's not me. <laughs> that's not me at all. I would never act like that. Of course not. <laughs> I can't relate at all now. I thought I could, but I can't. No, no. See, the truth is that when we're really honest about it and we really examine our hearts, we're not really as all that we uh, pretend we are, all that we're cracked up to be. And we've got to keep our emotions in check and we've got to make sure that we don't become self-centered. Focus on self. I've heard one say, and, and again, I understand there's actual medical depression where it's a thing, and I'm not disregarding that, but I, I've once heard a preacher say, and I believe it to be true, that if you're feeling depressed in your Christian life, go find somebody to lead to the Lord and disciple them and train them. Get your focus off of yourself. A lot of times our our, our depressions and our anxieties are because we're so focused on ourselves. We can't look at what other people are going through and the journey that they're on and the struggles that they're having. And you know what we also forget? That the same father who gave to the son and let him go is the same father who will give just as easily to us if we will ask him. I know that because of what the, the Bible tells us here in our passage. The Bible, the Bible tells us in our passage in, in verse number 31, the, in Luke chapter 15, verse 31, this is the father's response to the son. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. I never left, son. I never abandoned you. Everything that I've had this whole time has always been yours. While your brother was gone, it was yours. Before your brother left, it was yours. And even now, while I'm celebrating with your brother, and it's me, it's, in the next verse he says, it's, it's good that we should do that. While I'm, I'm celebrating with your brother, I'm still here for you. The lesson we learn from this character about our Heavenly Father is that the Father never withholds His blessing from us we've removed the option of him giving. He never withholds from us. We're the one who blocks him from being able to do it. The father hadn't changed. It was just the son and his attitude. And if he would just correct that attitude, the father was right there again. We know that God doesn't change. We know that he is always there for us. And certainly the father could have looked at his son and said, have I abandoned you? Have I left you? Am I starving you to death? Is there some valley that you've gone through without me being by your side? He could have looked at his son and said that. You're being being immature. You're such a baby. The father could have done that. But he never does. He just simply in love, the same way that he treated the younger son, treats the older son and says, Son... All that I have is thine. All that I have. I'm here the whole time. 
And everything I've got is yours. Just come back to me. Just restore the relationship. Fix the attitude. There is no better place for a Christian to be than at home with the Father. And he tried to turn it around in this story as though it was some kind of negative. I've been with you this whole time while he's been wasting the substance on harlots. He tries to emphasize the stupid decisions that his younger brother has made. The father, father so graciously destroys his whole argument. I'm here. And I always have been. And I want to give to you. I want to meet your needs. I want to take care of you. I want to have the right relationship with you. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. What an awesome thing. If we'll just keep a right attitude. Keep a right attitude. The third group of people in our story this morning, and again, I understand that they're not directly children, but I believe that there's a spiritual application that we can make from the servants. The servants are the third group of people that I would like to make mention of, and and I'm going to do it quickly. The son came home. He came back from the distant land, from from wasting his his substance on riotous living. And when he came to himself, let's let's go back and and just read uh, verse number um, 17. Let's look, at, let's look at the son here. I'm sorry, before he's returned, he's still in the, he's still in the land. He's feeding the pigs with, the, with the, the swine food, and he's thinking, maybe I'll eat some of this. In verse number 17, he says, And when he came to himself, he said, how many, of my, uh, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I want us to notice this morning that the son came to the, real, the realization that while he was off living riotously, that even the servants of his father were better off than he was. Secondly, I want you to notice about the servants in verse number 22. Here's now the son has returned. The father has met him out. Remember, the father ran off the porch to meet him. And the son apologizes. Verse number 22, but his father said to his servants, where were the servants? Does that mean the servants ran with the father? That's what I have to take from the story. Because the Bible says that he had ran off the porch to meet them. And when he's apologizing to him out there, it says, but the father said to the servants. There the servants were with him once again. Right at his side. Right where they should have been. Ready to wait on their master and ready to serve their master in any way that they could. And the the servants get all of it together and they kill the fatted calf and they bring the robe and they... They, what do they do? They enable the celebration. They do. They enable the celebration. The father gives the command, but the, the servants enable the celebration. These interactions of the servants with the father are, I believe, an amazing lesson for all of us to learn. No, the servants weren't the sons. But the servants weren't slaves either. They were hired servants. They had willingly submitted themselves under the employ of that master. They had said, this is a good man and I am willing to serve him. 
And I'm willing to do whatever he wants done. The servants never elevate themselves in pride. They never say, man, this guy's got a a bunch of dumb sons and we're here doing all the work. We we could be his sons. We could be better sons than his sons. No, they, they never once develop an attitude of pride. None of them run off with the prodigal. None of them are out complaining with the older son. They're all just doing what they're supposed to do with a right attitude and a right heart, enabling the return of the younger son, enabling the celebration of his return, serving the father faithfully. As I said, I think all of us fall into one of these categories. I I think all of us are either a prodigal, we have wandered away, or the younger son where we've stayed home, but we've got a really poor attitude about things. Maybe this morning you would be able to identify with the servant and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm just sticking by the stuff. I'm doing what I should. It's a blessing to serve my master. And you know what, as the uh, younger son realized, it's a place of provision. Even my, even my father's hired servants have bled, uh, bread plenty to eat. Serving the master is a place of provision. Serving the master is a place of protection. They didn't have to worry about anything. They didn't have to worry about the rifts that were taking place between the brothers. They didn't have to worry about the arguments. They didn't have to worry about who was upset. All they had to do was serve the master, knowing that he would take care of every problem. And that's all we have to do. Simply be a servant. Not to let our hearts be elevated with pride and think we're better than we are. You know, another thing that we can learn from, from these servants is that it doesn't matter who you are. If you will come to the Father, you can be a part of the family. And I've, I, what, about the, what about the fact that in our lives, the Bible says that those who come unto him, he will in no wise cast out. That we can go to the Father and serve. If we choose. And these servants had chosen to go and serve the father. I think that's a great example for us. Out of the sons, I would choose to rather be the servants. Follow that example. Seems like they've chosen the best route. I said there's three categories of people, and there certainly are in the story. There's a fourth category that's kind of implied here, and that's the category of people who have nothing to do with the father. The people who are not in any kind of relationship with the father. And spiritually in our lives today, that would represent somebody who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. You have no relationship with the Father. Yes, the younger son was saved, but he wandered away. Yes, the older son was saved, but he had a poor attitude. Yes, the servants were saved, and they were serving faithfully. But I wonder this morning, are you a part of God's family at all? Do you understand that the condition of sin in the human life, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned? The condition of sin in your life separates you from having a relationship with your heavenly father? You can't have one because of that sin problem. But the Bible says that when we acknowledge that we're sinners and we understand that our sin separates us from God, if we confess our sins... As we read in 1 John chapter 1, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For whosoever 
shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be a part of the family of God simply by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. So I wonder this morning, and I want to close with just asking, I, I asked you at the beginning, what of these group of people can, do you identify with? Do you identify with the prodigal? Have you wandered seeking after the pleasures of this world? Are you coming to your senses yet? Do you realize that they are short-lived? Their pleasures are for but a season? I want you to know something about your father. If you identify with the prodigal today, I want you to know something about your father. He is gracious and full of compassion. And if you will return in humility, there is no baggage that's going to be drudged up. There is no things that are going to be rubbed and thrown in your face. And Lord willing, if you're in a good place where there's a good church, they're not going to rub it in your face either. And you're going to be accepted and welcomed back into the family of God as though it never happened. Those same gracious hands that were crucified on the cross to forgive you of your sins to begin with and provide you a home in heaven are the same gracious hands that will be draped around your shoulders as he welcomes you back into his family. If you're the prodigal, you can return. I wonder this morning, are you the older son? Do you have, a, have you developed an attitude of kind of selfishness? Self-centeredness? Has your service and your ministry to God just become about your actions? Do you have an expectation of God as to, why aren't you doing more for me? I am serving you so faithfully. You need to get your eyes off of yourself. First of all, look back to the Father and get those right. And then pretty soon you'll see around you, there's a lot of other good things to rejoice about. Maybe you're the servant. Maybe you're serving God. It's a good place to be, and I want to encourage you to stay there. Stay dependent. Stay humble. Stay active. Stay serving. Be right at his side every step of the way. Right at his side. Maybe this morning you fall into that fourth category that wasn't mentioned. Maybe you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today I I beg of you, join in the family. You may say, well, what do I want to do with this family? It seems like there's a lot of arguments going on. I'm telling you, it's way better than that. Having a relationship with the Father where you can turn and look to a God above and cry, Abba, Father, in your deepest valley or on your highest mountain, know that he's there and you can have a relationship and walk with him. Sure, having a home in heaven is kind of the side effect. It's a benefit of your relationship with God. But the relationship with God is the main thing that you can walk and talk and fellowship with him along this life, right here on this earth. You can enjoy the benefits of a relationship with God. And sure, it extends through all eternity, but it begins right now if you will accept him as your Lord and your Savior. Hey, we are all sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord laid our iniquity upon his shoulders. Our sins be as crimson. They can be white as snow. They can be made white as snow. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior today, today, now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. There will be men down here in the front in just a few moments, and they'll be glad to show you from the Word of God or have a lady show you from the Word of God exactly what it means. You don't have to do anything. You simply have to believe. Believe and confess. 
It's not of works, lest any man should boast, to believe and confess. And you can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you stand with me this morning, please, and bow your heads, close your eyes? No one looking around, please. Uh, We have some gentlemen, they're making their way down to the front. But if you're in this auditorium this morning and you would say with just a raised hand, no one, again, no one's looking around. Well, I'm looking around, but no one else is looking around. You would say with a raised hand that, okay, Brother Kavanaugh, I have found myself. I was able to identify myself in one of those three categories. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I mean, one of those four categories. You say, I know where I'm at in one of those four categories. All right, good. A majority of the room. You were able to identify that. What area was it and how do you need to work on this? How can you, if you're the younger son, what do you need to, steps do you need to take? If you're the, old, the, the older son, what steps do you need to take? Hey, maybe you're that, that one there that uh, has not accepted Jesus Christ. The step that you need to take is just to come out and let one of these men, one of these folks show you from the word of God. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you say with an upraised hand, and again, I know some people don't like this, but I, I want you to be willing to share. You would say with an upraised hand, you know what? As you're talking about that fourth group and knowing for sure I'm on, the, I'm on my way to heaven, I, I can't be honest about I can't be honest and say that I am. I'm not 100% sure that I know I'm going to heaven when I die. If that's you, would you be honest with me this morning? Be honest with God, most importantly, and just raise your hand. Is there anybody in this room this morning? Raise your hand and say, I, I don't know for sure. I'm not 100% sure I'm on my way to heaven. The Lord's speaking to your heart. He's convicting you, and there's just not that peace that's there. Raised hand or maybe you're too embarrassed to raise the hand. You can simply slide out in just a moment. The pianist is going to play. There'll be some commotion around you as other people head down to the altar here and, and deal with things that the Lord spoke to them about. But simply make your way down, and we'll be glad to show you from the Word of God. As the pianist begins to play this morning, if the Lord spoke to your hearts, Go ahead and use this altar. Get, spend some time before the, the throne of God. You, you could do it at your seat if you'd like to, to kneel there. Maybe you'd like to come to the front. But if the Lord spoke to you, and, and most of you raised your hand and said, yes, the Lord spoke to me. I, I can identify in one of those categories. If the Lord spoke to your heart, don't ignore the voice of God.